1: And we are live with the standing room Spartans podcast, your host, Kevin Parker, your co-host Scott Martin here today. Uh, just a quick apology again for the audio, uh, the I've I've had some laptop troubles here the last couple of weeks, so I've been rolling with uh, the Apple headphones, uh, doing the best we can here. It's the off season, so. Uh, We'll get this straightened out, hopefully before uh, the spring games and and stuff like that really starts heating up. But uh, for now, you'll just have to deal with this. Uh, I apologize. But we are on a Sunday here recording. March has begun. We are, uh, you know, kind of waiting. Spring practice is coming up soon. Uh, But there's really not a whole lot going on in the program. Uh, We'll get to what has happened over the last week or so, but Scott, how are we doing today?
0: Doing pretty good. Today's a big day for the basketball team. I've been kicking it off with a little uh, basketball fodder here the last couple episodes. Uh, as we record, we're waiting on the Michigan State-Michigan game in the Breslin Center uh, this afternoon. So last game wasn't so pretty, but the boys have an extra day of rest on the legs. So I don't know. We'll see what happens tonight, but doing pretty well. i um, Yeah, excited for this one. Like you said, not a whole lot going on, but we got some things lined up. So,
1: Yeah, well, mainly today we're going to talk about uh, really scheduling in general. Kind of an interesting off-season topic that I think we see the non-conference schedule get rolled out every year. And and recently the Big Ten released the official uh, schedule as far as what dates we're playing, what teams and all that. And I think it's something that we kind of glossed over as fans. All right, who are we playing this year? And we all know the kind of wacky ways of college football, where we schedule games like 15 years out in the future. And, and so we'll kind of talk about non-conference scheduling, uh, some of the games that we've seen in the past, some of the games that we're going to be looking forward to in the future. Uh, and, and kind of like, if you were the AD, how would you set this thing up? What teams would you like to play in the future? We'll, we'll get to all of that really, uh, as far as news in the program this week, uh, not not a whole lot. Uh, the, one of the biggest things, as far as the guys from last year's team, Naquan Jones and Shakur Brown received combined invites, NFL combine invites. Now the unfortunate part of that is that there is no NFL combine this year. So it is, uh, basically ceremonial, uh, if you want to put it that way, but I I think it does give you a little peek behind the curtain. Maybe there are some NFL teams who have, uh, reached out who are interested in because the way the combine gets set up, the way that players are invited to the combine, it's, it's very focused on NFL GMs on NFL scouts. And they basically send like a request of like, Hey, we want to see this kid we want to see this guy. And so it is really based on what NFL teams are looking for. So I think that is a, a good sign for Naquan and Shakur Brown. Uh, now the the guy that it's not a good sign for, obviously, Antoine Simmons, who, who was not invited uh, to this year's combine. So uh, of those three guys, Scott, like, do you have any lead? Like, who do you think would be drafted higher? Do you think there's any like good fit for any of these guys? But just kind of on the base of where draft season is kicking off here. Uh, what were your thoughts about Naquan Jones and Shakur Brown getting sent to the combine?
0: Yeah. You know, if you asked me that question, who would, you know, who'd get drafted the highest. If you asked me a week ago, I'd probably would have told you Antoine Simmons. I think both of us agree. We thought, or we still think his game, you know, models pretty well to the modern NFL, you know, fast, a little undersized, but can play a lot of different, uh, schemes. And, uh, Yeah. I was a little surprised about Naquan Jones. Um, Not that, you know, he's not a deserving, deserving player, um, but he didn't, he hasn't gotten the most buzz. Shakur Brown doesn't surprise me at all. He had a huge season. Um, Cornerback is always in demand in the NFL, Um, but uh, obviously great for those two. I think the story, you know, like I said, though, is that Antoine is not getting an invite. I know there's a lot of good linebackers um, coming out of every year, but, uh, but yeah, I really thought, you know, his game, his work ethic, his attitude, you know, would, would be attracting a lot of suitors, especially because he really had two, two big seasons of, of hype in the Big Ten. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, we'll see. I, I still think he'll probably get drafted. Maybe he's starting to line up as a, a potential steal of the draft, you know, a la Xavier Tillman. Um, kind of a similar attitude, you know, plays the game the right way, works really hard great head on his shoulders so i think he'll find a home but definitely surprising that uh, that he didn't draw more interest at this this early stage yeah naquan jones has that
1: size with an explosive first step that i think is pretty rare and so yeah the production isn't really what teams are probably looking for as a backup most of his career only gets one year to really shine as a starter, but we only play seven games in that year. So he's got a pretty limited sample size. Um, But, you know, I have seen, just scrolling through Twitter, um, as these draft analysts and stuff, they start to see what names are popping out and what this guy got invited to combine. Let me watch a little bit of tape. I have seen some guys that have posted clips of Naquan Jones that seem really excited about him. And kind of that, again, that size combined with the explosive first step, I think is something that teams, GM scouts, they'll look for and say, Hey, we can build the rest of his game around this. But when we get those rare traits, uh, we're going to find a way to get him on a roster. So he's probably looking like an early day, three pick fourth round, fifth round, something like that. Same with Shakur Brown. I think, you know, he's, he's had a, he had a great season this year, obviously, um, I'm still not, you know, when we're combining or when we're comparing him to some of the previous guys, right? He's not a Darquez Denard, He's not a Trey Waynes, and that's okay. I, I I still think Justin Lane is is probably a guy who would take over him as well. But Shakur Brown is a physical player. He he plays the game the right way. He's got a, that chip on his shoulder, and and we'll see how far he can carry that. Antoine Simmons, though, like you said, it it's a bit surprising. It's a bit disappointing to see, um just the lack of interest seemingly the last you know couple weeks as draft stuff has started to kick off um i, I do th- yeah he's a little bit undersized i do think he's he's just a good football player and he'll find a role but one thing that's given me a little bit of pause recently is like we've had some good nfl players obviously you know uh, across positions but it seems like our linebackers Really haven't panned out in the NFL for whatever reason, right? You go back to like Greg Jones; he, he won a Super Bowl as a backup, which is cool, but ha- didn't really have much of a career. Max Bola didn't really do a whole lot. Riley Bola has been bouncing around like practice squads. So Joe Bachi's—he's found a home. He's on the New Orleans Saints. I think he was on the active roster um, for a little while. I think he's—he's he's with the Eagles even now. Uh, I think he's switched teams. I—I I would have to confirm that, but. It's just a matter of like, for whatever reason, some of these linebackers that have been awesome at Michigan state haven't really panned out. So uh, Antoine Simmons will have to be, uh, you know, a kind of unique player in that circumstance, but interesting. Nonetheless, uh, I think um, we'll, we'll wait and see here over the next couple of weeks, what pans out from that. Uh, the other news in the program, our creative director, uh, creative director, Derek Markell, was, uh, was hired by USC. So that was something we talked about quite a bit is how Mel Tucker and this staff have been so good on on the social media front, whether that's putting together graphics for recruits, whether that's putting together, you know, some graphic for the schedule, all that kind of stuff. We've been awesome. And and so losing the creative director, hopefully the guys underneath him, uh, you know, are are ready to kind of step up and, and somebody can take that role and run with it. But it doesn't sound like a big deal, but we have been crediting the social team with doing a lot of great work recently. And obviously we're losing the head of that. So uh, anything that stands out in terms of that part of the program? No,
0: it's a bummer. I mean, like you said, the creative has been phenomenal. It's been definitely one of the brightest spots in the program as Mel Tucker's kind of getting the gears turning here. Um, and yeah, it's a bummer. Like you said, we'll see kind of how the next guys carry the torch Um see if they come to come to the table with a whole new creative direction, or if they just kind of keep it rolling with the, you know, the style they're using now. Um, but hopefully, you know, we'll keep up that momentum, wish him all the best. I think he's going to USC, which would be a, a really fun program down in LA to do some creative stuff with as well. So expect to see things from them as he, as he takes over down there. But um, yeah, yeah. And a bummer. I know, trying to remember their names like blaze i think one of them's name is blaze watson um and then there's the other guy uh that's a name that you just don't forget (laughs) no you don't it sticks right in your head unfortunately the other guy i am forgetting his name right now i follow him on twitter i'd have to look it up but they do a great job as well you know edits and uh you know highlight reels and everything so i expect we'll we'll keep the momentum but and so, like I said, we'll get to some
1: scheduling stuff here. That, that'll be the bulk of the episode. Trying to think here. Anything else before we get to that, Scott? Or do we want to jump into our, our scheduling conversation here?
0: A uh, really random thing I came across. This is uh, something that's I know a contentious debate around college circles. So I came across this map. It is the most common food stops after heavy drinking by state. Ooh. Okay. So your go-to drunk food, if you will. So interestingly, across all 50 states, there are actually, I can't see Hawaii on the map. They cropped it a little bit. So 49 <laughs> states, there are only three restaurants that topped any of the state's lists. So across all 49 states, three restaurants. Can you name the three? Can you name Michigan's top restaurant and what was yours? Okay. So I guess,
1: first of all, that doesn't really surprise me that it's only three places because a lot, a lot of the fast food type stuff is not only regional, but it's the one like, Hey, and on our campus, we have this one place. So when you're, you're averaging that over a whole state um, you're, you're probably going to get the, the, the usual suspects if you will. Um the top 3 that are that are leading around the country I would guarantee that one will be Taco Bell. Yep. Okay. Um I'm going to go with probably the safe bet the, the New York Yankees type bet and go with McDonald's. Yep. I think the third okay. one's the third
0: one's the wild card
1: third one how many is this one that's like across a a lot of states or not really
0: no so taco bell by far had the most states i'm not counting them but probably in the 30s somewhere mcdonald's has one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen fourteen and the third one has five okay and they're all touching each other so that's probably a regional one
1: um Okay, so I'm I'm thinking there's a couple options. I'm thinking one might be like In-N-Out Burger, but I I don't think In-N-Out is like a late night kind of place generally. It's not like a drunk food place. It's like a normal daily thing. I don't know if they're the kind of place that's open until like 4 a.m. It is not In-N-Out. Okay, I, I'm going to go with... I'm combining two answers here. One that I think is possibly this the one for Michigan uh, no that's I was gonna say Little Caesars but I I would if there are five states that are kind of touching I don't know if Little Caesars is as popular as the rest of the the region um Chick-fil-a isn't open that late I'm gonna go I don't know uh
0: let's go Pizza Hut no it is no. not Pizza Hut <laughs> I'll tell you the region and give you one more chance. Oh waffle house there it is Yep. yep okay yeah yeah, I don't know how that one didn't cut you that has to be it. yeah, so Tennessee, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, and South Carolina yep. are all waffle house hubs. Um, have you ever seen the the map that it's it's like a heat map of heart disease in the United States <laughs> and then they put all uh, an icon for every waffle house. In the country, on top of it, like an overlay, and it's like a perfect match. It's, it's <laughs> I terrible, but I, I yeah, I, I hate laughing at it, but, um, but yeah. So we have, I guess, so five for Waffle House and fourteen for McDonald's. That would lead, that'd be nineteen. That would leave thirty-one states, assuming Hawaii is a Taco Bell fan as well. Uh, thirty-one states for Taco Bell. So, um, all right. So you know, it's not Waffle House. I'm going to Taco Bell go Michigan. Yeah, yeah, it is. Taco Bell. I, so
1: I, the one of the things I've actually complained about in the past is East Lansing. In my opinion, it's, it's kind of lacking in like drunk food options in the sense that we just have a bunch of chains, man. Like there there's Conrad's is a staple. Uh, but other than that, like Conrad's and menas, we and I don't even think Mena's is there anymore. Um, I think that they they dipped out a couple of years ago from somebody was telling me, but I haven't been uh drunk late night in East Lansing in a few years. So um, but I mean, other than like Conrad's, it's pretty much like Cottage Inn was always a staple for us. Um, you had they had like what was the name of the special? It was like the Stumble In special or something where you got like a medium pizza garlic bread for for like eight bucks or something like that little caesar's was a staple um but even like of those pizza places like giorgio's i didn't really love giorgio's they were are like missing the pizza a,
0: by the split. the slice you're missing a critical pizza joint bells yes i love yeah. bells bells
1: was it was solid um but i don't, I don't know, know like their style i where... loved it there's a lot of schools that like friends that went to other schools that are all, Oh dude, we had this, this sandwich place that, you know, we only had one location. It was on campus. We had this taco place. Like, I don't know. I just, I always felt like we were lacking
0: in that sense besides your Conrad's it was. And I mean, to be fair, we only lived in one corner of East Lansing pretty much the whole time we were there. So there were probably other little holes in the wall that we just never discovered but i kind of agree i mean especially downtown um you had your chains and you had your bars and then you had like like you said and conrad's i'm trying to think where else you just and, and cottage in i mean you had good restaurants but they weren't really like drunk food like ls right. was great but it wasn't really like you're not going to ls teca at two 30 in the morning to pick up some tacos. At least Not I anymore. I know. I know when my parents
1: were at, were at Michigan state. So like that was 19, late seventies, early eighties, L S Teco was, uh, they were down in the basement of the same building where they are. And they were down in that basement until, cause I remember going there after Michigan state games when I was young. So it was relatively recent that they moved it, but that used to be a, you know, like a, a bar that, that was basically a, a pretty popular bar hangout. So people would be down there until two in the morning. Yeah. Um, not really that type of scene anymore. Kind of a upscale type of place. Now they have like a hundred choices of tequila now.
0: Uh, oh. But no, it's all right. So, so you what was your go-to? And we're going to ask the fans too, when we post this uh, and you listen to it, go, go over to Twitter, let us know what we're forgetting. I'm sure there's a million late night restaurants that we're not thinking of right now. It's been a little while, but Kevin, let's hear it. Yeah. And speaking of Twitter, we still need to make a graphic for
1: the last couple weeks shows. <laughs> we, we kind of forgot about that. Um, I I guess like if if we were to average out all my nights in East Lansing I would probably have to say it was cottage in more often than not Conrad's for me was more of the wake up and hangover food than it was the late night drunk food
0: Conrad's I it got to a point where I couldn't really like with a good conscience get it regularly um because it was just so over the top it was phenomenal don't get me wrong I loved Conrad's I had it my fair share I'd say mine was probably Bell's Greek pizza more so because I always lived like right next to it um you know for the last three years of school um but yeah man I agree I mean there's not like I I mean Conrad's would be like the cult icon of East Lansing I think Right. Yeah. And the thing that sucks too is, is a lot of
1: it I'm comparing to a lot, a few of my friends that went to Michigan and obviously Ann Arbor has a lot more options just because it's a lot bigger of a, of a city and you're kind of in more of an urban area. So they got a lot more of those kind of hole in the wall type places. They got a lot more of those kind of unique drunk food type places. So they, they have an advantage built in there, but I just I would have liked to see a few more spots, but that that being said, you know we had a handful of decent pizza options. You had the Conrad's and Mena's wraps. Uh, we didn't really have it besides Taco Bell. Um, we didn't really have any good Mexican choices for late night. So, um, yeah, no, that was that was uh, an interesting little stroll down memory lane, though, or or faded <laughs> memories, <laughs> faded memory lane, I, I guess I should say, but.
0: Yeah, man. I mean, I would definitely say Taco Bell and that Grand River McDonald's are are the top two. I mean, Conrad's is the, the icon, but I think just as far as sheer volume of drunk food, it's those two. McDonald's at like 2 a.m. on a Saturday night was an interesting place. That yeah. upstairs, you never know what you're <laughs> going to find. Uh,
1: yeah the little caesar's hot and ready was uh was a staple as well because we lived right across from that place for a little while and uh yeah that that made for some a lot of uh i won't say bad pizza a hot and ready is not a bad pizza it's definitely not a good pizza but um somewhere in between there where you would wake up a little uh maybe not worse for your wear, but, uh, not, not feeling too great in the stomach department. (laughs) So, uh, let's, let's jump into it here. We're, we're going to talk about some kind of scheduling stuff here. Um, yeah, again, we're, we're deep into the off season spring practice hasn't started yet. So not a whole lot going on. And this was kind of a topic that I wanted to make sure we hit on sometime in this off season. So figured now is a better time than any. So, In 2016, there was a big change, and this is kind of where I want to start this, is when the Big Ten changed the conference schedule from eight to nine conference games, which dropped our non-conference schedule from four games to three. And basically what that turned into for me is an opportunity for scheduling where it it lined up pretty simply, And, and Scott, I'll get your take on this as well. If I were an AD, and this is kind of how I want to structure a, a, a few of the things that we'll talk about in the future. If I were an AD and I was setting up the schedule, uh, and and Coach Mack and I talked about this on the pod last year, is I would basically do, I would call it like an ABC schedule or a one, two, three schedule, however you want to frame it. You have one team, the A team, the that is a, a high profile matchup. One that maybe you're you're not even necessarily expecting to win. You're gonna you're gonna hopefully have a shot to win it, but it's gonna be a high profile game. You're gonna get a bunch of eyeballs. It'll be one of those week two, week week one or week two games that is going to be nationally broadcast. You know, you you get yourself out there for recruiting and and all of that stuff. Uh, one of the high profile games. Your B team is going to be somebody who. I think, and Coach Mack brought this up too. I think is what they were trying to do with a BYU, a team that's like it's it's on the radar nationally, but you're still expecting to beat them, right? So maybe um, if if we're looking ahead, like a Boston College is one of those teams where they're a name, you know, it's a Power Five school, it's probably going to be on on at least regional, if not national, TV. Um, But it's, it's still a team that you're expecting to beat. And then you have the C opponent, you know, your Youngstown States, your Akron's, your Eastern Michigan's, the team that you're expecting to beat by multiple scores. You can get in the freshmen, you can get those sophomores in there, get some game experience, hopefully get the backup quarterback in for a drive or two um, and and really kind of jumpstart the season in, in that way with a big win. So I guess, first of all, what's your take on that in terms of like a scheduling philosophy for for the
0: non-conference? I like it in a vacuum. Um, I like it when your team is trying to really get the gears turning on a competitive season. I mean, you, you look back at, obviously, we had some of those years uh, while we were in school. I, I mean, we had those back in the four non-conference games but you know you had your I think one year we had Boise State as like your B Notre Dame as your A and like Western Michigan as your C right and that worked out well because we had great teams back then uh well I think we lost Notre Dame in 2012 but it was competitive you know um I think you you run the risk of if because you have to schedule these games so far out I mean we're going to talk about matchups in the late 2020s, even the early 2030s in this episode, right? You have no clue where you could have three new coaches by then. Um, Right. You run the risk, and I think this would have happened last year had we played non-conference, of playing a BYU team that ended up being way better than expected and probably would have drubbed us a
1: Miami I, I'm team pretty happy that we we scooted the non-conference <laughs> games from this last year because we would have gotten roughed up a little bit
0: yeah I mean we had Miami it would have been at home but I don't, I don't think we were winning that game we opened against Rutgers and laid an egg so you know playing Miami who had an up and down year last year but all in all passed the eye test a heck of a lot better than we did um, and then you had an Akron team who we really should have beat but honestly given last year's team I probably would have been a little nervous going into that game too. So, I mean, you always run that risk obviously, you know, no matter who you schedule unless it's three FCS teams, but I like that like like I said, if you're trying to put together a schedule that's going to give you a chance to put together a great resume, you know, you're really worried about your resume, you're trying to get into a New Year's Six bowl, potentially a run at a college football playoff. I think that's a perfect you know, way to set it up. I'm not saying you want to schedule Alabama, Clemson, somebody like that, but you know, get yourself a mid to high tier power five matchup, maybe a a lower tier power five or a really strong group of five matchup, like a Boise state or BYU. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, you always want, you know, a tee up game where you can, you can tune up the squad, get things moving. So I like it. Um, With the three, you definitely have to get your money's worth these days. Um, You have to have at least one name in there, like we said. And actually, the next couple years, I think it's a little soft for my liking. And we'll get into that. Um, But, yeah, I mean, in in a vacuum, I think this past year would have been good. I think given the team we had, it would have been dicey. Um, But, uh, yeah, 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 I mean.
1: Go ahead. If, if you're a Michigan State fan, which obviously you're listening to this podcast, you are, uh, if you haven't looked ahead, and, and I'll kind of roll through the names that we're playing in the next 10 years uh, that we have lined up, but the next, what, uh, after 2021, because obviously we have Miami coming in, which should be an interesting one, but the next uh, four years after that are not too interesting. Uh, but <laughs> obviously the Big Ten schedule is still there, right? So we it's not like we're going to lack interesting games the whole year, but it always is fun to play one of those high-profile non-conference games. And unfortunately for a few years, we're not really going to get that. But um, i so that was something interesting that you brought up pre-show is, is kind of how, you know, we schedule these games. College football is so silly. We schedule these games like 15 years out like you said, you could have three coaching changes by the time you get there. You're going to have like five different quarterbacks that play in that time. Like you have no idea what these teams are going to look like, right? If you scheduled in, I don't know, like 2008, if you scheduled a a non-conference game, 10 years down the line against Texas, you're thinking, Oh my God, man, you know, this is going to be such a, a tough. we're not going to win this game, Texas. They're like, you know, national championship contenders. Well, in 2018, Texas is okay. You know, like if you schedule, so, so if you schedule a Clemson now, yeah, Clemson's on top of the world right now, but that's a program that doesn't really have a history of that. So maybe 12 years from now, Dabo Sweeney leaves to go to Alabama they don't get the head coaching job right there. And, and Clemson turns into like a Florida state that, that just kind of crumbles and, and fails to get everything. We have no idea what can happen in 10 or 12 years of college football. We don't know what can happen in like two or three years of college football. So I, I, it is kind of a funny thing and it, it changes the narrative quite a bit, but like, was there anything that stood out to you in that sense, when you're kind of looking at like some examples of, of scheduling a team at this time and then, what do they really look like at that time? Or it's, it's such a weird
0: part of, of college football. Yeah. I mean, it's a shot in the dark. I don't have any specific examples. Um, Well, like Boise state, I don't know. We played a home and home. Actually it might've just been us at home uh, in 2012. That was the first on-campus game I ever went to my freshman year. Um, 2012 Boise state. You had the, I think the iconic image of Le'Veon Bell, you know, his first big hurdle of that season. He did it again against Notre <laughs> Dame a couple weeks later. Um, and I think he had one against Indiana, too, that season. Yeah, yeah there was were going three. going up the sideline yeah. against a corner. So, I, I wonder if I can figure out when we scheduled this game. But it was a 2012 game. You're coming out of – so, we scheduled it in 2010, which was – around or shortly after the time that boise state was like the you know the group of five team they were the premier group of five they what year did they win the fiesta bowl like 08 uh that's i'm actually looking that up right now the fiesta
1: bowl was actually 2007 it looks like in 2010 Uh Boise State was in the Fiesta Bowl. It was it was playing against TCU that year, but they won a Fiesta Bowl, were 14-0, number six in the country.
0: So they were in the middle of their run. They kind of dropped off, played in the Las Vegas bowl the next three years. They made it back to the Fiesta Bowl in 2014, also. Anyway, um, they were great. Um, they were, and I'm sure when we scheduled them, we were like, Yes, this is gonna draw all the eyes you know, and it was still, I mean, for us personally, I don't remember how big the national hype was, but for us, it was a game we were really looking forward to. It was still a big name um, at that time, but it wasn't, we weren't playing the 07 Boise state team, you know, that went 14 and 0 or whatever they were. Um, So you're always taking a shot in the dark. I mean, when you schedule Notre Dame, Notre Dame could be totally unranked and you're going to get some, some national attention. Right. But um yeah, I mean it's a shot in the dark. Some of these future schedules that we're going to talk about are are total shots in the dark that don't maybe look great now, but could be something when they roll around. Um, yeah, so it, it, it's a tough game. I you can you, It's you really can't bank on like okay, we're going to have a cowboy classic here, right? Like a Alabama Michigan had one to open the year a couple years ago, and that was a big one and Michigan was highly ranked, but Michigan fell off and didn't end up being this. so yeah, it's, it's for lack of a better term, a crap shoot.
1: Yeah. And, and we proved this year with BYU and coastal Carolina for everybody that remembers that matchup, like it's possible to schedule games that aren't 10 years in advance. Like, I'm not saying we should go out there and have this total chaos of scheduling a game three days out, but it just showed you like, Hey, this is, we don't have to do it this way. Like I, I, I would like to see it just kind of like more of college basketball style where, you know, we're not scheduling these games so far. We're scheduling it for the next year, pretty much. And, and so I don't know, but I I'm going to roll through the the next few years of our non-conference games. We'll, we'll talk about some of the games that, that we've had in the past that were fun, but first, Scott, I have a trivia question for you. All right. So I have gone through a uh, uh, courtesy of our friends at sportsreference.com where, where we basically get all of the information we use for this podcast for forever. Um, I sorted sorted out by the number of games that we played against each opponent. And I have the top five non-conference opponents, the, the five non-conference opponents that we have played the most games against. Of all time. Of all time. I think three of them you should be able to get. The other two are kind of wild cards. I'll give you five choices, and we'll see how many of them you can nail down. So the top five non-conference games all time since we started the program back, you know, 1900 or whatever. Okay, so
0: are we considering current big 10 teams as in conference even before we I, joined. i'm the big not
1: Ten. including rutgers not including maryland right so anybody okay.
0: that's currently in the big 10 i'm not including them. okay um i think notre dame's got to be in there notre dame is number one we have played yeah.
1: notre dame 65 times for reference, we have played Northwestern fifty six, Wisconsin fifty one, Iowa forty eight. We've played them more than any team besides Purdue,
0: Indiana, and Michigan. All right, so yeah, because that was a that was annual for a long time. It was mm-hmm. back and forth, home away, home away, every year for decades. And before you know, we the Big Ten was even a thing. So yeah, so okay, we were probably their tune up game back then. Um, <laughs> but excuse me. So Notre Dame, Western, maybe that's recency, but we, Western I feel Michigan like we... is number five.
1: We have played Ooh. Western Michigan 11 times. We are 11 and O with a couple close calls in there, but uh, we've played Northwestern or Western Michigan uh, 11, 11, times. So that's number five on the list. You're two for two. Central, Central Michigan. That's so that's the last of the, the ones that I think you will get. So they, uh, we've played them also 11 times. We are 8-3 and three against Central Michigan. Uh, I remember one of the losses because I was there. It was when Dan LaFever, Antonio yeah. Brown, they kicked that onside kick.
0: Yeah, the everybody other two, who's ever passed through Mount Pleasant remembers that game too, and they'll <laughs> let you know about it. The other two, I very much doubt that you'll get,
1: but if you want to throw a couple darts at the wall, I will allow you. Can I like
0: ask a couple qualifying questions to, sure. to narrow it down cuz you're not
1: going to get them anyway so
0: <laughs> are they power 5 one of them is oh god okay are they regional like midwest um one of them is definitely
1: midwest the other one is I, i'll say is
0: northeast Okay. I, this is a total wild card given the history of them, even though their football team does not exist anymore. The University of Chicago.
1: Oh, no. But you are on the right track. Oh, no. You're on the right track.
0: Because Chicago used to be a Big Ten team. So that's why before, I think we took their spot when they dropped out um i'll go I'm trying to find it so they don't have a football team anymore is that the one in the midwest that doesn't yep. have the team anymore they Shame.
1: at least don't have like a, a an fbs team anymore i think they have like a d2 or d3 program now
0: oh man okay i thought i was i thought i was onto something
1: there <laughs> you heard definitely on the side i thought you were gonna get it when you started saying that <laughs> All right. I, for it's lack a basket. Of they're actually, they're both basketball schools. Maybe okay. that'll at least give you a lean somewhere. Um, I'm just going to start throwing shots in the dark. Marquette? Marquette. Number two. We have played Marquette 21 times. Wow. We've okay. played Marquette more than Rutgers or Maryland or Central or Western or Eastern, any of those schools. The last time we played Marquette was 1955, so it's been wow, a while. Okay, <laughs> I, th- right, yeah, so... I think they're like a D three program now, but the other so one is in the said... Northeast and is a basketball school. The last time we played them was 1990.
0: It's got to be Syracuse. Syracuse nailed it. <laughs> Well, I knew I had a Power Five one in the books because Marquette's yep. not Power Five. So, and you said you you're gonna say Northeast, so I knew it wasn't like core New England. It was kind of right. fringy. So, yeah, Syracuse <laughs> basketball it. school. All right, well, you gave me a lot of hints. Twelve but I'm times still...
1: they are they're nine. We are nine and nine two and one. We do have a tie against them. The last game in nineteen ninety. So yeah, That's pretty good. Uh, the other ones that are right up there, uh, Temple we played 10 times. Detroit Mercy, we played nine times. The last time was in 1960. Um, Then you got Nebraska, Missouri, Oregon State, USC, and Washington State. We have played each of those schools eight times. And then you go down the list, there's a bunch more. But I'm guessing, I know with USC, we played them a couple times in bowl games. Uh, Washington Mm -hmm. State, obviously, recently we had the Holiday Bowl. But Yeah, it was was kind of funny when you go through like Notre Dame, we've played them the fourth most of any opponent, conference included. And then you have Marquette, Syracuse, randomly up there. Uh, And then the directional schools are obviously right up there as well
0: interesting yeah no that's I mean you teed it up for me I, I wouldn't Marquette and Syracuse would not have popped into my head without some hints but yeah um, I mean
1: without any hints you could have given me a hundred guesses I, I wouldn't have gotten those schools does, so.
0: does University of Chicago even like crack the list anywhere I was trying I mean, to find it I they're not on
1: the the register here as far as I can tell And we got schools like we've played uh, the Great Lakes Navy. We played them two times. We're one and one. Um, We got some. uh, We played Grinnell four times in the 1930s. Carnegie Mellon. We also played four times (laughs) in the 30s. Uh, we were three zero and one. We got a tie against Carnegie Mellon, uh, Santa Clara. We played six times. Wow, like, there's some wild card schools on here, but uh, for some reason Chicago is not coming up. But like I said, like you said, like I, I would be surprised that we hadn't played them. Manhattan or one and zero again, or zero and one. Excuse me, against Manhattan. Hmm. Tulsa's right. on there one time. Utah State's on there one time. Wake Forest on there one time. All games that we played in the very recent history, the last two three years. So
0: yeah, the first I remember that Wake Forest one being the first matchup ever between the schools, even though it's two power five schools. Uh, yeah.
1: So. The way the way this kind of plays out the next few years, I'm just going to roll through the names here. We'll, we'll kind of talk if you're excited about any of these, if any of them stand out. So 2021, obviously coming up this year, you got Miami. It's kind of like I said, if we're breaking it down, Miami, that kind of A school, big time program, big name, gets you the publicity. you got Western Kentucky, who's They'll like top. a decent group of five team, right? They're no slouch. Uh, and then Youngstown State should be the team that we beat. 2022 we go at boise western michigan and akron 2023 verse boise central michigan and richmond who's a d2 school 2024 we have at boston college and florida atlantic scheduled uh we're we're going to be scheduling a third game in there i would assume so we'll we'll keep you posted probably western michigan yeah it's i would guess a directional (laughs) school um 2025 versus Boston College, Western Michigan, and Youngstown State. 2026, the only game scheduled is at Notre Dame. 2027, we have Notre Dame and Central. 2028 at Washington. 2029 versus Oregon. 2030 at Oregon, as well as Central Michigan. And 2031, Washington as well. So like I said, I mean, the next couple of years are kind of dry our big name schools that we're playing are Boise state and Boston college. I don't think anybody's really like fired up about those teams, but then, you know, down the line here, we're going to get Notre Dame back on the schedule. That's always a fun game, Washington and Oregon, kind of some fun West coast teams that we don't see too often. So I don't know the next 10 years,
0: anything really stand out to you there? Well, um, the next five years, Mel Tucker is going to have an opportunity to put together some solid uh, win columns. I think it's uh, it's a little dull. I'm not going to lie. Um, compared to kind of what we were used to, I know when we were in school, we played Oregon, Notre Dame. We had that Boise State. I'm trying to remember. Actually, I have the schedules up from we were for the listeners 2012 to 2015. I think for you, and then I spent an extra semester in 2016. Um, So I'll include that as well. We had, I mean, we played Notre Dame quite often, but we had a lot of TF games. Western UCF came up Youngstown state again, Jacksonville state. Yeah. Wyoming came to town. uh, Air force came to town. We really, I mean, for me, that Oregon met that Oregon home and home was, is the non-conference kind of matchup that always sticks in my head just because of how much hype there was around it I think when we went to Oregon we played Mariota to open his Heisman campaign uh, yep. so that didn't go we, we, <laughs> we hung in there but it didn't go too well by the end they wore us down um, so I guess as I look back at the kind of the historical matchups you know this list of future matchups isn't necessarily outside you know kind of what's par for us maybe missing a couple more notre dame matchups i'd love to have a home and home in the next five years with them uh, it's always a good one to to see where you're at early in the year but uh, but yeah i mean we'll have opportunities for wins miami's going to be tough this year but we should come out of non-conference basically every for the next five years with at least two wins um which yeah, I'd love to have a little bit more exposure with those big names. But, you know, as Mel Tucker's kind of getting his his future dynasty rolling, um, you can't hate too much on having, you know, a little bit softer non-conference schedule. And at the end of the day, when you're in the Big Ten East, you don't need that much help putting a resume together. You'll have your opportunities. So I don't hate it. Like I said, I'd love to have some bigger, exciting matchups early in the year, but it's not the not the worst thing in the world. Yeah,
1: the, the, you do make a good point there. There are certain programs in general, and then there are some certain situations and circumstances where it is kind of nice to just schedule some wins on there. Make sure that you get yourself in a position to get to a bowl game right early in a new coach's career. You know, when you have your, your non-conference games in 2023, for example, that'll be uh, Mel Tucker's fourth year, third non-COVID year right, where you're getting Boise at home, Central Michigan, and Richmond. That should be three wins to get you set up for Big Ten play and, and put you in a spot where, you know, you can get yourself to, to 9, 10, 11 wins if if everything's rolling at that point. So um, as far as nationally, I was, I was just kind of rolling through um, just some of the Big Ten teams that I think have interesting matchups here, like 2021. You have Michigan and Washington in the big house. You have Uh, Oregon and Ohio state at Ohio state, you have Auburn traveling to Penn state, which is an interesting one. Um, Those are, are mostly kind of home and home. So you'll see them over a couple of years, 2022, Ohio state plays at Texas and versus Notre Dame in their non-conference, which is going to be an exciting year for them. Um, As well as in 2023, I guess they have home and homes, both of those uh, seasons. You have, uh, Michigan and Texas playing in 2024. Uh, I guess they have never, uh, played in the big house for whatever that's worth. That was a fun stat that I found. Uh, you have, there, there's a few here, Washington and Ohio state Washington, I guess is just scheduling the whole big 10 East, which is fun. Um, Nebraska and Oklahoma play this year as well. That's kind of a fun historical matchup from Nebraska's days in the big 12, but, Um, I want to make sure we get to some schools uh, with the last 15 minutes or so here, some schools that maybe you really want to see, maybe some schools that you don't want to see. I'll kick it off with two, two things that I don't want to see. Number one is Alabama. I, I don't want any part of that. I, I, I told you, I want to see like the big game non-conference, you know, get your name out there. I've seen Alabama twice in person. I was at both of those games they trounced us both times. I don't need to see that anymore. Get Alabama off the schedule. Don't even bother. It was funny because that was actually one that we had scheduled a home and home and Alabama were the ones who canceled it for whatever reasons. Uh, And then I, you know, we talked about Boise and, and BYU. I'm actually, I'm against scheduling these high-level G5 schools I, I don't want to see a Boise I don't want to see a Cincinnati I don't want to see a BYU a UCF and the reason being it's kind of a lose-lose situation if you lose the game yeah the 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 national like you know the big time college football people they'll know that yeah, Cincinnati is a great team there's there's no harm in losing to them they'll know that Boise State's a great program and they have been for a long time and and that they could beat, you know, a, a large handful of power five schools any given year. But when you lose that game to a group of five school, it has that extra little kick like, oh, you lost to a non-power five. Like, that's not great. And if you win that game, it doesn't really give you a whole lot of credit. Like when you're kind of looking out the end of the year, is that like, OK? Yeah, they beat Cincinnati and then they they beat, you know, these Big Ten schools. So I think it's kind of a lose lose situation uh for me but is is there anything that you don't like to see in the non-conference anybody that you're trying to
0: avoid? No, I mean obviously surefire losses you mentioned Alabama currently it would be a Clemson or I mean we can't play Ohio State in the non-conference but someone of that pedigree okay, um, and, and I probably
1: right now. Yeah
0: yeah and I agree um with the the high G5s um you know if if you if they if you beat them, it's just not their year, right? You come out early in the season and you beat Cincinnati. And the story is, oh, well, Cincinnati's not as strong this year, you know, as they it's, it's not the year they're taking down power five teams. Um, And if you lose, it's kind of that scarlet letter, no matter how good they are, you know, at the end of the season, when people are looking at determining bowl games and stuff, it's that it pops off, it's in bold on the page. It's, oh, but they lost, to yeah yeah i agree the The, stigma the
1: premier example is the the best football game like in any michigan state person's history where michigan state was not involved when app state beat michigan in the big house they were two-time defending national champions in in one double a at that time right nobody remembers that they just remember app state went into the big house and beat michigan like and I'm not going to give them any excuses for it certainly but that was that's a perfect example Where nobody remembers that that was actually a really good team it's they're not even a division 1 team like what do you like that's what are what are schools doing like I was Iowa or somebody scheduled North Dakota State what are you doing yeah. Yeah. why why in God's name are you scheduling that game if North Dakota State calls me right now I'm just hanging up immediately there's no way I'm playing that game
0: Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's taking it to a whole nother degree, losing to an FCS team. It happens, I would say, on average, maybe a half a game a year. Like, every other year, you see an FCS team take down. And it's usually a Power 5 team, um, but it's usually, like, a bottom half of their conference Power 5. You got, I mean, you got Kansas, I think, lost one. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head, but Kansas usually we've
1: lost the last two years, I think, to uh to somebody like back-to-back years to an FCS school, which is hilarious. But
0: yeah, and that's but it's the same kind of feel with a group of five team, and that's not to say again, we're we're not power five elitists necessarily, but you just don't want to lose those games. You don't want to schedule those teams and we don't really know what Boise State will be the next couple of years, but they they seem to be still continuing every three or four years to have one of those teams that's competing to be the top group of five team in the country. And it very well could be that the case the next couple of years. And mm-hmm. that's when you look at those schedules with Western and Akron next year. And Central and Richmond the year after, and then you throw in Boise State. Like, if you lose against Boise State, you really have nothing on your resume coming out of non-conference. Um, and that's not a dig on the you know the lower schools. It's just if you beat Central, Richmond, Western, and Akron, nobody really cares when they're comparing you to you know your resume to another strong Power Five school. So it's awkward. Hopefully. We'll have things sorted out to the point that even if Boise State's good, we can take care of them. Um, but it's yeah, it's it's a tough. I'd rather have a mid-tier Power Five school in there, low to mid-tier Power Five school than you know a high G five. So yeah, we'll
1: I mean, directly comparing them, like I think probably in a neutral site, Boise State would beat Boston College more times than not. But I would rather play Boston College because the loss looks a little bit less uh, less bad. Because, you know, hey, Boston College is an ACC team. Um, and if you beat either of them, it's it's not really going to be a big deal. So, yeah, I, given those two. But uh, I have a little list together. I'm going to run through it real quick. Scott, i will curious to see what you think about any of these matchups. And if you have a couple that you want to throw out there as well, obviously interested to hear some teams that you would like to see here in the near future. If, if we were the AD and we were putting in a, a game, like, you know, we said that that uh, 2024, we got an open spot, right? Who would you like to see? Or if, if we could remove Youngstown State, put somebody else in there, right? Um, first one is going to be Pitt. And there's a, a pretty clear reason here. Pat Narduzzi being the head coach, I think that would be a kind of a fun, uh, a fun matchup, just us against Narduzzi our last matchup against Pitt was in 2007 when Narduzzi was actually our defensive coordinator. It was his first year at Michigan state. So I think that would be just a fun game, you know, getting to see some of the old clips. I'm sure that they would show with Narduzzi coming down onto the sideline. Uh, We're six Oh and one against Pitt, which I thought was interesting because Pitt's traditionally been a really strong program, but uh, I think that would be a fun one. Number two, I guess these aren't really ranked or anything, but another one was Texas tech. Uh, because I remember the Alamo Bowl back in 2009 when we played them were 0-1 so that'd be a nice um, little revenge game I guess but I think Texas Tech is one of those schools that it's a fun matchup it's they have a totally different style of play so you kind of get something different I think the uniform matchup would be a good one as well but it, it's one of those schools where if you lose to Texas Tech you know, we can chalk it up as like, uh, yeah, they got a weird offense. Like it it doesn't really sting that bad. And if you beat Texas tech, like, Hey, you know, you beat a fun big 12 team uh, Baylor it, per, pretty much the same reasons. Right. Uh, except it, substitute the Alamo bowl with the cotton bowl. Uh, that was a really fun game. So when we're, you know, leading up to the pregame, I'm sure we'd see a bunch of highlights from that one, which is always fun to relive. Uh, similar again, Stanford, we'd, we'd see a bunch of those matchups, uh, or highlights from that Rose bowl matchup. Uh, but I think that was, when I look back, obviously the Rose bowl atmosphere helps, but that was an awesome uniform matchup as well. And then Stanford plays a pretty similar style to us. So I think it would be a good benchmark for us to see kind of where we're at in terms of, you know, running the ball. Can we run against a good Stanford run defense? How's our front seven doing against a tough Stanford offensive line? I think that would be a good matchup. Colorado, you know, (laughs) Mel Tucker, I I think some of their fans would really like to get that one. I think that the MSU and Colorado Twitter would have a good time before that game. Uh, A couple more uh, Kentucky, I think would be a fun one just because of how many local recruits that Kentucky has pulled away from us. You would have a lot of kind of like personal rivalries. I, I have a feeling that game could get a little bit chippy with some of the guys who, who left the state, who decided to go over to Kentucky or from the Detroit area or something like that. And then two that are, are kind of the highest profile ones. One would be Texas. It's a big high profile game. You would get a ton of credit for a win. And Texas they just they've they've been very beatable every year even their good years so like the two years ago they went to a, a, a New Year's Six bowl even then you, Texas hasn't been like some juggernaut recently so I think it would be a game that you can win and that would give you a lot of credit it would be on national TV it'd be a fun one the last one probably would be scheduling a loss but I think it would be really fun to play Georgia Uh, Mel spent uh, a handful of years there as the defensive coordinator under Kirby smart. So he knows him pretty darn well. Um, The last two matchups against Georgia were the Outback bowl in, in 2011, obviously triple overtime thriller. And in 2009, we played them in the citrus bowl when Matt Stafford was their quarterback. They had AJ green. They had no Sean Moreno on that team. So the last couple matchups against Georgia have been pretty fun. I think that, you know, Georgia now has transcended to an elite college football program. I I don't think we would win that game, but I think some of the storylines there would be a lot of fun. So what do you think about any of those schools? Are there any you would like to add to the list?
0: Yeah, so I will give you, I'll give you one or two from each power five. Um, Let's start with the SEC, definitely Kentucky. set it's as regional as you can get with the sec it makes sense it's not enormous travel uh early in the season i'd love to play tennessee um i just i don't i have a personal vendetta against them (laughs) it's total Shaden freud i love seeing their downfall and usually they lose non-conference games early in the season so um get it get a win there against again a traditionally really 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 big program with an enormous fan base and a very proud fan base um so that would be the sec if i went acc i'd love to see florida state um i think i thought about florida
1: state as well
0: maybe my favorite uniforms in the country I think they're just awesome. I love the culture around that school. They're down right now, but again, a huge program with a huge fan base giant state school, uh, kind of a similar reputation in Florida that Michigan state has uh, in the state of Michigan. Um, You definitely draw some eyes. This, the second one from the ACC kind of actually, I think they're ACC. Uh, No, they're SEC Uh, South Carolina. And this kind of draws back to the D'Antonio days. I would have loved to see him get to play South Carolina because his, his career went through... He, he played for South Carolina. So it right. would have been a fun matchup. Um, good school, fun school. The Pac-12, so Colorado, I couldn't decide if I want to put them on you, <laughs> I my... The I definitely thought. want to play them or <laughs> I definitely do not want to play yep. them because they would bring... There's no way we could match their energy. Like, you would... No matter what we did, Colorado
1: is we might want to just wait a couple years until all of Mel's guys are off of that
0: team. Right. Yeah, Yeah, that that one, I couldn't decide which one I wanted to like if I could guarantee a win. Absolutely. It would be a great game to play and a great game to win but if you lose that game, like you have to just like crawl into a hole for a year. Yeah. Um,
1: Yeah. Let's wait until like 2024 and then schedule that one.
0: Yeah. So what am I missing? Uh, I mean, I I can't think of any other PAC 12 schools, all the California schools kind of bore me. I'd love to play Arizona now that, um, Don Brown's going there, beat up on his defense at another (laughs) school. Uh, that's purely personal, but, um, which one? Oh, the Big Twelve. So Texas definitely would be up there. It's the it's the the big name that you can beat in the Big Twelve. Um who else is down there? Avoid Iowa State like the plague. Yep. Do not touch I had that. That team. same thought. Um Baylor's fun. You could uh, put you
1: could put Kansas on there as like that, you know, this in the same category as
0: Akron and Youngstown State. <laughs> you know, you can yeah. get the backups in there. See, Kansas has a tough time scheduling, I think, because like every power five team would want to play them, knowing that they're going to just whoop <laughs> them. Um, and even every group of five teams probably like, well, we want Kansas, they're yeah, because you know,
1: that can be their premier, like, hey, we beat a power five team, like and
0: they'd probably get paid to go play in that game and beat <laughs> Kansas and get a power five. Yeah, I mean, win. like,
1: if you lined up Cincinnati and Kansas right now, Cincinnati's like a, an 18 and a half point favorite right? Yeah, like it's not even
0: close. Yeah. No, at least two scores. Definitely. Um, who else in the big 12? I don't know. I mean, not, not Oklahoma, probably not Oklahoma state, the big 12, you, the exposure drops off pretty quickly as you go down the list. I mean, Oklahoma, obviously, but they're in that top tier. You don't want to touch Texas is right there. I think that's the one you would, that's the kind of blue chip matchup you'd be going for. And then you've got your Baylor, your Texas tech um, and And beyond that i mean you've got your kansas kansas state oklahoma state i mean what are you really getting out of that matchup again it'd be good as like a b matchup get a a solid power five team that you should probably beat but um yeah yeah, I
1: I, i kind of thought as well in in the sense of like if i'm a fan that's traveling to these games right that's kind of one of the fun things about non-conference games is you can go and see Michigan State play a team that you don't normally see them play and you can you can use it as kind of an excuse for a late summer vacation you know bring the family over to the west coast if you're playing like a USC UCLA you go play down in LA you you have some of those matchups that I think would be a lot of fun like personally for me Oregon is a good one I have some family in the Portland area, so, you know, we could go visit the family. Oregon's an awesome, awesome, awesome state for anybody who's never been there, just on vacation in general. It's it's an awesome place to visit. Um, Colorado, obviously, in Boulder, like, that would be a sweet place to go travel to watch Michigan State play there and then spend a couple of days in the mountains. Like, there's a couple of those, too, that I, I kind of had in the back of my head. Like, obviously, Texas Tech that's a game I'm going to watch on TV. I'm not heading down to (laughs) Lubbock. Uh, But yeah, there are a few of those. Stanford was one that, that crossed my mind. Like, yeah, I would love to go to Palo Alto to go see a game. So yeah,
0: even this year, I mean, depending on what travels like at the time, but at Miami, that's actually on my birthday. So make a little birthday trip out of it. Got on there. I've never been to Miami. I've been to Florida a couple of times, but never been to the the coat capital of the United States. So (laughs) Could be fun. We'll throw um, like it in, in the same off season. We'll go like at Miami
1: at UNLV and uh, <laughs> just know, the degenerate you... <laughs> tour. Yeah. And then go, I don't know, like now you, you, I guess you would throw like Rutgers in there and then go, you could go play San Diego York.
0: state and go down to TJ yeah, for, for yeah. a weekend. <laughs> I don't know, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, this, it's it's always fun. I love the non-conference kind of game. I hope we can get back to that uh, tier one, tier one B kind of school where we're really confident going into playing 98% of the schools out there, you know, going into the games we had against Oregon when they were a top 10 team and really feeling like we were, you know, going in there with the potential to to, to, to bring out a win. Um, And we have some of those, you know, we mentioned, we don't know what Washington, Oregon, Notre Dame will be 26 or 2026 through 2031. We play one of those teams each year. Um, Could be, you know, the heyday of Mel Tucker's career at Michigan state. We could be, who knows what we'll be by then, but uh, those could be top 10 matchups for all we know. Um, So it's a lot to look forward to. I think, if there's a time to have some weaker non-conference schedules, as we look at the next couple of years, now is definitely that time get some wins early in the season under Mel Tucker's belt. And like you mentioned earlier, give us a chance to, to get into some of these bowl games. So um, I think it's lining up pretty well given the circumstances.
1: Yeah. So let's wrap it up there. Uh, I think we had some good, good fun, conversations we'll post some things on twitter here as we uh as we go through the week we'll make sure we get that graphic from the all decade stuff uh you know i've been working with a couple different laptops tablets uh, i've had some trouble here so we'll we'll make sure we get all that stuff out to you follow it on twitter at standing room msu we're at standing room spartans on instagram i've been kind of lazy there but we're, we're gonna try to get the content rolling as spring practice starts up Uh, We're working on a YouTube. We'll get there. Follow Scott at spartanmartin 18 on Twitter. And uh, yeah, other than that, hopefully we're, you know, I got some stuff to do here before the game tips off, but we got a big tilt against Michigan. A win, I would guess, would really secure our spot in the tournament, right? So we'll, uh, as you're listening to this, you'll know how that game unfolds. But go green, have yourselves a phenomenal week, and we will talk to you guys soon. Take care, folks.